Welcome to the Express Soul Health and Wellness Podcast. In each episode, you'll learn from experts about the best practices and technologies to live a happier, healthier, and hopefully a longer life. Here is your host, Claudia Erdinola. Hello, my name is Claudia Urdinola, and this is Express Old Health and Wellness Podcast. In today's episode, my guest is going to be Dr. Mark Gittleman. Dr. Gittleman is a urologist and a specialist in hormone replacement therapy. That's going to be the subject of our podcast today. Also, we're going to talk to Dr. Gittleman about sexual medicine, we're going to talk about technologies helping men with many of sexual health conditions, as well as women. All about the misinformation regarding hormone replacement therapy and how hormone replacement therapy can be a preventive measurement for many health conditions for men and women. I think the episode today has terrific information, and I hope you find it an informative. Here with me, Dr. Mark Gittleman. Please don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe right here and hit the notification button so you will be notified when we get more episodes and more content in our podcast. Help us to spread the word on wellness. And please, if you are so kind to write a good review right here, I would appreciate it. That way, many others will find our podcast content and we will help spread the word on wellness. Dr. Gitterman, welcome to Express All Health and Wellness Podcast. How are you? Great, man. Thanks for having me, Claudia. Very nice. Very nice. We are delighted to, to have you here today. We have a lot of subjects to cover, and I know our sure audience is going to be very pleased to be educated and well-informed about these very important subjects for men and women. So, Dr. Gitterman, I would like for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your professional background. Sure, Cloudy. Thank you. Um, I did my medical school training in New York at what we call the Mount Sinai, as opposed to the Sinai uh, that we have here locally in Miami. Uh, and then an additional six years of training as a urology resident. For decades after that, besides just being a, um, a regular <laughs> urologist, um, I uh, opened a research center where I had the opportunity to uh, research a lot of the medications, specifically in sexual medicine, uh, such as Viagra and Levitra and Cialis and Stax and Stendra and hormones and a lot of sexual medicine um, products and development for women as well. So over time, though, my subspecialty now really is sexual medicine and probably uh, it's really my uh, first love. I mean, after my wife and family, but that's really that's. I really, what I love studying, I love researching, and I love teaching. And the way that you presented it really is all about teaching so patients can really understand. That is great. And, 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 you know, you're my doctor, you're my husband's doctor. You have been in charge of my hormone replacement therapy for six years and bruises as well. And um, I can attest that uh, when we come to your practice and we open up to the first consultation, and we sit down there with you. What we as patients talk to you in that first consultation is extremely personal. You know, we're talking about the most uh, private part of our lives, receiving that amount of education from your side, you know, the patients to 
help us understand where we are and where we can be if we follow your your guidance and treatment. So I always say to my audience that when they sit down in front of a doctor, they have to feel good about the doctor. They have to feel that they can trust, that it is a professional that can deliver that solution to seeking for. And if it doesn't, it's okay to just don't engage any, any further with that professional. I mean, it's perfectly fine. I did it before. Agreed. And I think sexual medicine is so personal. Um, and in that first consultation, we're talking about everything for men from, you know, erections to sex drive to orgasms and the same for women. I just finished a consultation, um, with a woman wanting me to balance her hormones. And, you know, within that first hour, we're talking about the same. How is your sex drive? How is your arousal physically, psychologically, your orgasms here? Are you having vaginal pain, et cetera? So you're absolutely right. It's a, unique in that, uh, in that respect. And, and getting that bond and confidence with a patient is uh, very critical. It is extremely important. And then, again, that first chat. And sometimes you ask some questions that just make us think. I remember you start think, talking to me about certain things and I never thought about it before you asked me, you know, so that was, um, something that I always keep in mind. And again, I, I can, um, I kind of mentioned some, uh, conversation that I had with a friend of mine just last week. She called me, she said that it was in a supermarket. The lady in front of her was, but you know, she bought some groceries and she asked, what are you cooking? And the woman just snappy. I'm not cooking anything. I just buy this because it was on sale. She didn't say anything else. She called me and said, Claudia, I'm sending love to that woman because she doesn't know. She's probably growing, going through menopause. She doesn't know. She may be going through imbalances. All of those things happen when we come to you. So I would like for you to help us walk us through what is the process when a new patient comes to your practice how you do that process of evaluation for uh, that specific person? It's a different process for men and women in that the first thing I want to do is get information. And obviously the questions we ask men are different from the questions that we ask women. But essentially, I always do a lab evaluation prior to the first consultation. So we have probably a 10 or 12 page, we call it intake. It's really opportunity to get all sorts of information for men, everything from their erections to, um, you know, all of their sexual response, that sort of thing. And for women also, uh, you know, where are they in terms of their gynecologic history? Where are they in terms of their hormones, et cetera? And then on that first consultation, I'll take a look at that. Very important. What are your goals? Are your goals for increased energy? Are your goals for increased strength? Are your goals for increased sex drive? Everybody's different. I don't need to say that, but it's true. It is. And a lot of times it's hard for patients to really express those goals. So for, I'll give you an example. Some, let's say a man comes in and here I'm asking some uh, tough questions. The question is we give them ahead of time, let, kind of let them know we're going to be talking about hormone things and erections and all that. And they may answer something as simple as uh, things aren't the same as they were down there. So that doesn't tell me really anything. I have to really dig into it. What does that mean? Is it an erection problem? Is it an orgasm problem? Is your orgasm too fast? Is it, is it take too long to reach orgasm? Is it, it's, so teasing that out for both men and women is really, um, uh, important. So the questionnaires help. The discussion uh, really helps to fine tune that. And then I'll match it up to the labs. 
to the anatomy. Where are they, if you will, um, on their hormones, which is a very common reason for people to see. Before we get into these uh, more specific questions, I would like to address something that I really hear very commonly with people that I know, even with professionals in the healthcare industry. And there are a lot of myths and misinformation about the hormone replacement therapy. Um, they mention things like, um, okay, hormone replacement therapy and testosterone for men is for those bodybuilders. And then for women, oh no, that could be a cause of cancer. You know, they, a lot of people don't know and understand that actually hormone replacement therapy is, is a preventive treatment for so many uh, health conditions, but we're going to talk about those. Please give us a little bit of your perspective about that misinformation, the regular people. Yeah, so a couple of points on that. First of all, there is a lot of misinformation. And in the era of uh, Dr. Google, uh, there are a lot of things you can find that sometimes were posted two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. And just like every field and every professional that you will be interviewing, um, you really have to stay up on your profession. That means for me as a medical professional, going to the conferences, reading the articles, you know, understanding what's, what's new, understanding what's coming down the pipeline, uh, really critical. And that's not really the people who are filling in the content on Google. So, um, we do try to identify if patients have sort of a, um, you know, misinformation, to, for lack of a better word, or they may be thinking about something that really isn't the case. For example, just use an example uh, that uh, is common. A lot of people think testosterone is related to prostate cancer, and nothing can be further from the truth. There's no relationship whatsoever. That was disproven about 15 years ago, and it's written all over in our books that there's zero relationship. For breast cancer what, for women. And for breast cancer, what we do is we, you know, there are some mixed studies. For the most part, though, the minuscule increase risk for breast cancer, and it is really minuscule unless somebody has a certain genetic uh, properties that put them at higher risk, there uh, is really minimal compared to the benefits. And everything that we do really has to be sort of risk-benefit. But minimal compared to, if we're talking about uh, estrogen, the importance in keeping your bones strong, to keeping your muscles strong, keeping your heart strong, keeping your vagina strong so that, you know, you can continue to be sexually active and to prevent infections, urinary infections as we get older. Uh, and so many women were misled uh, in the early uh, 2000s when there were two studies that came out that uh, made it look like uh, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy may be problematic, not so much with breast cancer, but for heart attacks and stroke. And it turns out they couldn't have been further from the truth and it was all disproven. And really what happened is we lost really two decades of women um, to having the opportunity to be on hormone therapy, unfortunately. Um, but it's a risk balance. And I think the risk, increased risk of, uh, of breast cancer for women is very tiny compared to the benefits. Also, the, the hormones that we have available today, the bioidentical, are way better and more advanced than the ones that we had 30 years ago, 20 years ago. So that's the vast difference there, right? Yes. So that's exactly right. The, the, the world of bioidentical allows us to really personalize exactly what we want for the patient. So for example, for a woman, I'm analyzing where is she on her estrogen? Where is she on her progesterone? Where is she on her testosterone? 
and we treat each one of those separately. So I can give a different dosing for each one, even if we can put them together sometimes. But the idea is to personalize where they're leveled, how are they feeling, what are the goals? So that is really the world of bioidentical. In the standard medical, and of course, as a physician, there are times I write prescriptions for standard medical you know, uh, products. Uh, there's one dose, maybe there's two doses. In the bioidentical, I can say exactly what I want. Which estrogen do I want? What's the concentration? What's the strength? So it gives me a lot of flexibility. And I think that's tremendously useful because, again, we can personalize it. It's not just like, oh, this dose is one milligram. We can do really whatever's appropriate. Hormone replacement therapy being so such a preventive treatment for men and women, we may get surprised to see that most of the health insurances do not cover. And those who, they, who cover the, the, the hormone replacement therapy, they do just the, the regular hormones that are dispensed by CVS, Walgreens, or any other commercial pharmacy. They do not recognize or reimburse for the hormone replacement therapy that is made, the, the formulas that are designed right. for that specific person, personalized, as you say, tailored to the needs of that specific person by a compounding pharmacy. Why is that? Correct. So well summarized. The world of standard pharmacies and the world of compounding pharmacies are set up to not compete with each other so that the compounding pharmacy cannot create a product that is available in the standard pharmacy and vice versa. So we don't have uh, the typical product. I'll give you an example. So when we write for estrogen for women, we'll typically, as bioidentical hormone replacement doctor, we'll typically write for a cream. And the reason for that is we want to get it directly into the system without bypass, with, without going through the liver, which is a, a safety measure. Typically, the standard products that are on the market are all oral. They're going to be metabolized by the liver. And we have very limited uh, dosings in the world of, if you will, the gynecologic products. Um, also, when we use give estrogen, we'll give a cut, just as a backup, there's three types of estrogens that women have, estradiol, estriol, and estrone. So in the world of um, standard products, we just can pick an estradiol. In the compounding world, we typically use two of those together in a cream, estradiol and estriol. So we're actually providing more, if you will, of the natural hormones that exist. It just gives us a huge amount of flexibility. And generally, the pricing is very fair. Okay, so that, that, is, that is great clarification. And again, I mean having the benefit of, of using a compounding pharmacy, you gotta be sure that each individual is treated as such. Because my needs are not the needs of 300 other women out there. My needs are different than this brand or this one of this or this other individual. So, you know, the only way that you can prescribe something such tailored is using a compounding pharmacy, correct? That's exactly correct, Claudia. So, Dr. Gittleman, uh, hormone replacement therapy has side effects? Let me start by saying our goal, whether we're replacing hormones for men or women, is to give you what your body was making when you were younger. So let's use um, men, for example. We've been making testosterone when we reach puberty, age 11, age 12. Um, and it goes up every year until age 20. We actually peak at age 20 in our testosterone. 
From there, it goes down about 2 to 3% per year. So by the time a man is even 40, it's already gone down by 30, 40, even 50%. And for some people, even faster, just depending on their genetics. Well, who is, who is healthier? Who's more balanced? Who's better at, athlete? Who is more likely to have strong muscles and bones? Somebody who has the normal testosterone they had when they were 20, 30, and 40, or somebody at 60 or 50 um, where the levels are very low. So the goal is to not use something foreign, but to use something that our body has seen for a long time. Same thing for women, right? So when women are cycling, normally what we call premenopausal, uh, the three hormones that we, that we can measure go, you know, beautifully in concert, if you will, the estrogen and the progesterone go up and then come down and woman has a period. Those numbers are, they're getting that estrogen and progesterone naturally till they reach menopause. Then boom, they all stop. Estrogen stops, progesterone stops, testosterone. Who's healthier? A woman who is cycling before age 50 and, and the benefit of all those natural hormones or the postmenopausal woman who's not being supplemented, right? Who's in their fifties or sixties or seventies. There's no, you know, there's, there's no comparison. And that's why when women, uh, especially the decades that missed out on therapy, um, they're more likely to have weak bones. They're more likely to fall because their muscles don't have uh, what they should have as well. And if they fall, their bones are weak. What happens? They can wind up with a hip fracture. And from there, it's not good. So again, we're just replicating where somebody was when they were younger. It's not, there's no magic to it, right? Our bodies are used to seeing all those hormones. The goal is to balance them. And as you pointed out earlier, to personalize it. I remember in my first consultation with you, when you saw my labs and for the, for my audience out there, um, I had a, a very, uh, you know, life-threatened situation in 2015, health condition that I described in my episode one. And I saw you uh, a year after, and I was already uh, into my pre-menopause or menopause because I, I was feeling all the symptoms already. And um, when you saw my chart, you were super surprised to say, Claudia, what happened? You have the hormones of a 70 75-year-old woman, you're too young to have this, this uh, level so low. So then I told you what was my, you know, my health condition in 2015 that I went through all of this uh, treatment in Vanderbilt and such and such. So you told me that when a woman comes to you with the problem in their bones, you got this, this uh, presenting already all of this deterioration in the skeletal and muscular system, um, it's because probably it's too late. If that person will be consulting with you a few years prior, probably hormone replacement therapy could prevent osteoporosis. I, Absolutely. I was so, that was something that blew my mind. I never thought that because of the hormones imbalances, because we were going to premenopause, we were getting in such a risk to get into the osteoporosis. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm hoping the way you describe it, I was a little gentler than that, but I I'm sure we could talk about those deficiencies. And you know, equally important is not just the lab numbers, but um, the questionnaires that I use literally uh, drill down on 15 questions that are associated with low estrogen, another 15 that are associated with low progesterone, and another 10 or 15 that are associated with low testosterone. But it's aging. 
And that's where the sort of adds on this, you know, I don't love the term anti-aging, but I think it's aging with grace. And I think it's better trying aging. to keep people better aging. Exactly. And we don't, we know we really can't in, increase um, a lifespan, but we can increase a health span, right? And you've probably heard this from some of your other guests as well. It's keeping healthy till you're 90, 100, and then as they say, okay, you dropped dead at 100, but you were healthy the whole time. So we want to try to maximize um, all the good things, exercise, muscle, sexual response, et cetera. I always say to, to my audience in different podcasts that I had, listen, we want to live longer, live happier, love longer, being able to enjoy our lives at the best. So we need to learn ways that we can kind of like biohack the, the process and, and enjoy for a longer time and being able to to uh, feel good about ourselves, you know. So at what age, Dr. Gittleman, do you recommend men to start checking on the hormone levels or the women start checking on the hormone levels? So women are easier. Um, and it's one of the few places where women are, uh, even though they're more complex, but it's easier to, to uh, because when they're cycling, meaning having their period on a regular basis, we know the hormones are intact because by definition, uh, the estrogen and progesterone have to do certain things to make ovulation and to have abnormal menses. Um, now, that doesn't mean they may not have symptoms of low testosterone because some women do come to me pre-menopause that have issues primarily with libido, meaning sex drive, issues with strength, energy. They may want to do better in the gym. They want, may want to have better exercise uh, and exercise recovery, maybe build a little bit of muscle. I'm not talking about being a bodybuilder, but to build a little muscle, see some more definition. For example, by the perfect example, what do we see in postmenopausal? Those are those women where they're, you can see the droopiness, right? And they are, have long since neglected their uh, testosterone, their muscle response. Um, so in any event, for women, I would say clearly once they start to have menopausal irregularities, um, or if they have a goals of looking for better libido, better um, uh, exercise response, and better muscle. Now, by the way, that's not where it ends. We still have to check their levels, right, and make sure that there's really a of difference. Of course, but, but um, I would like to, to ask you this because a lot of women out there, they, they start thinking, wait, why is mentioning testosterone in women? I thought testosterone was only for men. So let's talk about that a little bit. Great. Okay. I love it. So when we grow up and probably when we go to high school biology, we think, okay, estrogen is a, a girl hormone and testosterone is a guy hormone. But the truth is that we need both. Men need estrogen uh, and women need uh, testosterone. Now, women make uh, only about 10% of the amount of testosterone that men do, which is why we have a lot of other differences uh, that are due to the testosterone. Um, but we need to sort of get a sense of, um, you know, where they're at. And again, you know, you know, personalizing it so we can really understand those levels. I wanted to go back to, on the same concept, just a little bit cloudy, if you'll allow yes. me. You asked that I mentioned when we know women may need an evaluation, but for men, it's when they start to show symptoms of low testosterone. Uh, those symptoms might be decreased strength, decreased energy. Difficulty with body uh, composition, meaning they're gaining weight and it's harder to control their weight. Decreased sex drive, erections not as strong, 
um, uh, erections in, in the middle of the night, either absent or not as frequent. Erections in the morning, same, either absent or not as frequent. When those sort of hit, it's sort of like, okay, those patients really need to be checked. And men are not as good as women, for sure, by far and away, as seeing the doctor. They're just nervous. They're scared. You know, we're going to find something bad or whatever. Um, so we try to diffuse that and say, look, let's just, you know, let's check and see what your symptoms are. Let's check your levels and then we'll have a discussion. And again, it's just um, many of those symptoms may be very uh, mild and people don't feel like going to check the hormones. And again, they, it, this is something that I, I already mentioned in another podcast. Going to the doctor every year or when they change jobs, they have to go through, through a physical evaluation. And they feel like I'm fine. The doctor told me that I'm, I'm okay. My hormones are fine. Well, normally the blood tests that the uh, Joseph general physician will, will prescribe are very general and, and not as detailed as the ones that you prescribe to look in depth to the hormones in every single aspect. So I would like for you to tell us, um, for example, what, what are those biomarkers that you are looking into your, the blood test that you would ask for a woman to have in a consultation? For women, which ones are, and for men, which ones are? Those key elements that you look for. Great question. When, with regards to women, and by the way, for both men and women, I do like to get a general sense of how healthy they are. So uh, depending on when they've had their last labs, we'll check everything from cholesterol, make sure thyroid is intact, uh, hemoglobin A1C, are they predisposed to diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. Do they have liver issues? Do they have, And we can tell that mostly from the labs. For the hormones for women, and the, that orange sure, for example, uh, uh, just before we started, um, uh, had a woman that she had her uterus uh, mostly taken out. I say mostly it's a type of ablation. So she didn't have a period for 15 years. So how does she know when she went through menopause, right? She had That happened to her when she was, I guess, in her 40s. We can measure, uh, and the names are sophisticated, it's not important, but we can measure, is the ovary still working? We can tell the signalers that the brain tells, you know, the body to make their estrogen, to make their progesterone, et cetera. We can measure those. So we can tell if that person is in menopause, even if they don't have a uterus. So those are things that we measure. We measure their estrogen, their progesterone, and their testosterone, uh, and then see again how that matches up in their goals. For men, it's interesting. The one we're most concerned about, of course, is testosterone. But here's where it gets a little hard for the guys. Most people will measure, when I say most doctors that are non-specialists in sexual medicine, measure testosterone called total testosterone, okay? And that's where Free you, testosterone. Are you 300 or you 500 or you 700. The problem with that is that it doesn't tell us how much of that testosterone is active, is usable. Because when the doctor just checks total testosterone on their lab requisition, that's what's going to be measured, total, all of the testosterone in that person's body. But it doesn't tell us the usable portion. And 95% of total testosterone is locked up with another molecule. You can't use it. Totally inactive. And specialists, I want to know what's active. This is for men and for women, by the way. So we can really be deceived. Sometimes even the primary care will go, you're, you're fine. Your testosterone is 600 or 700 or 800. But when they come to me and I go, let's check your active testosterone. Let's really see what's going on. Sometimes at the very bottom of the range or even below the range. Along those lines, by the way, 
Um, you know, depending on the doctor, let's just use total for a second. Let's say the range is 300 to 1,000. Well, 301 is not, it may be on the range, but it's not optimal, right? So we have to take that concept into consideration as well. So by that point, if, if uh, one of our listeners, for example, just went to the annual check, they got the blood test, and then he said, oh, I'm fine, I'm in 301. I will say in that specific case, look deeper into the symptoms, into those mild symptoms. And, and for, for guys, what I observe um, is probably uh, the muscular tone start being different. They start growing like, like uh, you know, like breast. And they start growing a belly is what I noticed when, when they started declining on, on, on the testosterone. Um, but it can be other, other symptoms, such as you describe it. I mean, the, the, the sexual performance and erections and all of that. Yep, you're spot on. Um, I think most doctors would recognize that 301, to use that example, is on the low side and probably sends me to evaluate further. Um, but it's really the symptoms that drive patients to come see me, right? The things that, we, that you just mentioned, that I mentioned earlier, you know, it's a change in body composition. The, uh, the man boobs that sometimes happen as yes. well because of the imbalance in the estrogen and uh, progesterone um, for the uh, women. Well, then we're not so concerned, but for the men, we were worried about estrogen. So some of them make a lot of estrogen uh, for a variety of reasons. So we want to kind of intervene earlier before it becomes uh, unsightly. Minerals and vitamins in the body. Do you guys check those on the, in the blood test as well? We do. Um, because I'm focused on um, sexual medicine and a lot of times just energy, we do measure, for example, the B vitamins. Um, we do, because there's a lot of B vitamins, B1 and B2 and B3 and B5 and B6, not just the B12 that we typically look at. Um, and we also look for other gross deficiencies. However, what we don't do, but some people do, and it's perfectly something we can't, is there heavy metals, for example, mercury, uh, arsenic, things like that, um, lead, uh, that can be uh, checked out uh, as well. So um, yes to all of the above. I think it's good to make sure uh, people's vitamins are in order, but there's a lot. So uh, we'll usually look to giving a multi-vitamin um, uh, supplement or B-complex that contains all the things that we mentioned. But vitamins are important. D3 is a good example. Really came to light during um, COVID because a low D is associated with a poor immune system. Of course, we think of D uh, for uh, our muscles. We think of it for our bones. Uh, but we also, it's very important for our immune system. So it became very popular, if you will. I need to say that um, my husband and I had been prescribed vitamin D by you. And because of that, COVID for us was just another day. We got a, a little flu of nothing, and in two days we were just fine. We were, you know, but also we, we like to exercise, we like to go in the sun, um, so do other uh, complementary measurements that really keep us healthy. But vitamin D is very important, and, and I remember that you, you addressed that to us, you know, over and over, that uh, that's a very important thing to do. Yes, sir. And just to emphasize, again, the concept of optimal, in the wellness world, if you will, uh, D is a perfect example. The range is 30 to 100. Well, that's a big range. Most of us think of the best, the optimal range of 60 to 80. 
Um, so, and we use, we have to use relatively high doses to get there. Um, sometimes 5,000 units a day. I even like 10,000 units a day, but we measure. So we know we're not giving too much. We'll see where they are. D, of course, is, um, is a fat soluble, vitamin A, D, E, and K are fat soluble. Those get retained by our body and it takes longer to build those up. Uh, the others that we, like, for example, we mentioned, those are water soluble. So a lot more forgiveness there because if our levels get too high in our bloodstream, we just pee it out. Um, so but vitamins are important. Uh, by the way, the multivites have to be careful. Often they might have, using D as an example, maybe 1,000 units of D or 2,000. So a lot of times we need to give different, uh, or I should say more substantial supplements. Okay, so as part of the evaluation, we know that um, it's very important for you to have that personal consultation with the patient, learning and uh, from the questionnaire that that uh, that uh, you you supply to the first time patient to respond to those questions. You will, you know, have a better idea what are the current situation with with that specific person. Also, the blood test, and then. Um, in terms of the nutrition, is, is any assessment on those first consultations in, in terms of that person's body composition, maybe the levels of, um, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, fat and all of that stuff? Claudia, I think you have your finger on something extremely important. Besides, of course, balancing uh, patients with regards to hormone, uh, diet and exercise um, are critical. And there's so many different diets out there now. Uh, we have everything from Mediterranean diet to keto to intermittent fasting. Uh, there's the diet of the month, the cookie diet, to this, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we often will give some information uh, as a starting place, but there are many, many resources online. We also have access to true nutritionists. Uh, that That's all that they deal with at those levels of supplement. You also touched on something I think that's really important, and that is it really is about body composition. Um, and as you know, what that means is it's not your weight. It's how much fat somebody has and how much muscle somebody has. Obviously, we want to, and again, we're not talking bodybuilding, but we want to always maximize muscle and minimize fat because fat, it creates um, uh, a lot of inflammation in the body, and the more of the fat content the higher risk as we get older for diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, et cetera. So we do have a special machine called a whole body DEXA scan um, that we use for virtually all of our patients to get a sense of where their body composition and to guide them on exercise. Should they be doing cardio? Should they be doing high intensity interval training? Should they be doing resistance training uh, such as weights or Pilates uh, or bands? All of that goes into it, right? So the hormones is a starting place, but really when a patient does really well and we do a follow-up DEXA scan as we do for everybody, um, I say, look, you did the hard work, okay? I did the easy work. I balanced your hormone, but you were in the gym. You, you know, you made it happen. And that also becomes part of it. Now, can we help people anyway? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say maybe half my patients could care less about their body composition. The other half, it's a big part of their focus. So I also try to Make them aware. Hey, look at this. We can show them on that scan. You can actually see uh, a thermal scan. You can see where the fat is. Is the fat in the inside, the visceral fat around our organ? Is the fat on the hips as it is for some of the women? Is the fat, um, you know, creeping up onto the inner thigh in their, in their arms, et cetera? So it's a very helpful exam that we do for all our patients. That's great. And it's something that I, I um, as your patient, I experienced is that, um, 
it's, it's interesting because you start kind of normalizing some of the symptoms. It's normal for me to get weight. I am getting older. It's, it's normal for me to have foggy mind. I'm an engineer. I work with plans and calculations. It's extremely important for me to have chart my mind, to understand, I mean, and do my calculations and everything. Um, very demanding job that I had is, I mean, engineering. So anyways, it kind of normalizing the way that the people start looking like, it's okay, I mean, but the, my body start getting fluffy. Yeah, I'm getting older. When I started the hormone replacement therapy, I'm telling you, Dr. Gittleman, I was coming in the morning to my office and I can see my plans. It was like, oh my God, this is so, such a difference. It was just like, I was feeling so, so, so good about working. I could, it was, it was just like my mind was working better. My mood got better. And then the most important thing was the levels of energy increase. And what happened with the energy increase? You have to start doing something with an energy. So I start working out. I never in my life worked out before. So growing my muscle at age of 52 almost, my husband is 74, is looking terrific. He had tremendous Yes, discipline. he does. He's your patient. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. It's incredible the body that this man has at 74 is going to be 75. So I always want to encourage to the people listening that it never is too late. Never is too late to start working for your body. When you build up your muscle, you protect your brain, you protect your, your bones. It's so important. So this is, I mean, it's, it's day and night the way that you feel before and after. <laughs> Agreed. And I'm, I'm delighted that both you and Bruce have had such a great experience. I mean, that's my goal for anybody that walks in the door. I need to find out what they need, what they want, get them balanced. And uh, just for the um, your viewers, there's a lot of other things we do besides the basics that we've been talking about. Tell us about, about. it. Um, so I like to um, think of sort of three categories that we want to work on. We focus mostly on the hormones for men and women, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone for the women. Um, and then with the discussion we just had, it's what I call a different box, right? Where are the vitamins? Are they doing things properly, taking the right in, um, uh, things into their uh, system? The third box would be something called peptides. Peptides are a way that we can finally naturally and safely not give somebody growth hormone, but push them to make their own growth hormone. Um, which is totally safe because it's coming from your body, it's coming from your own uh, body to make that hormone as opposed to coming from a manufacturing plant somewhere. So you really can't go wrong uh, with that. And peptides, there are many different peptides. Uh, I like to use the term peptides mean signaler. They're signaling something in the body. We have peptides that help to control inflammation that are not anti-inflammatories. We have peptides for people who uh, want to lose weight. We have peptides for people who um, want to help for fertility. But by far and away, the most popular peptide is one that helps us with lean body mass, with trying to amplify what happens during exercise, amplify muscle gain, and amplify, um, if you will, fat loss. So uh, that's a very popular uh, peptide. It's actually a combination of peptides. And um, and they're really successful as long as someone works at it, right? 
Again, the patient has to be willing to work. We'll give them the guidance, uh, but we get really nice results. And, um, you know, the goal in medicine, as we learned uh, in medical school, above all, do no harm. Uh, and then we want to try to meet the goals. That's awesome. And again, I mean, the, the good thing about you is that you are a neurologist and you are specializing in hormone replacement therapy. So you have to see the human body in men and women in a holistic way. You know how the whole system works. I feel very uneasy when I see popping hormone replacement therapy in every single spa salon and every single wellness center. I want people to please do your research before you put yourselves in the hands of a professional in uh, uh, hormone replacement therapy. It's extremely important. Yes, um, you really put your finger on something that is really problematic right now, and that's these sort of little small centers that pop up, and they're really not uh, trained in the same way we are. Uh, they're trained in what I would call an algorithm. Okay, somebody uh, comes in with this level, do this. They don't have a sense of the gestalt of what's going on. Um, and I've seen so many patients that have come to me uh, and have been seen in these clinics. And by the way, most of the doctor supervision is just paperwork. The rest is done by nurse practitioners and uh, by physician assistants. And having said that, I have a nurse practitioner in my practice, my wife actually, who's amazing. Uh, we have a phenomenal physician uh, assistant as well. So they're all really good, but I love what you're saying. You really want somebody that's going to, on the male side in particular, uh, so much happens as we age, right? It's not just about erections and hormones. We have urinary issues and we've got to check the prostate and we've got to make sure their PSA is stable. So this is, is something that's much more natural for uh, a man to choose somebody who has the overall training, not just the, um, you know, the algorithms that go on in these clinics. For women, Every one of my patients, I don't pretend to be a gynecologist. Every one of my patients has a gynecologist and I make sure they have a gynecologist. I want them to have their mammograms. I want them to have their pap smears. I want them to make sure uh, that they're taken care of. And the gynecologists love it. I take 98% are like, thank goodness, because it's very hard for them uh, or a mile a minute to spend the kind of time and energy to kind of review everything that we've been talking about. So I found 98% of them uh, are like, thank you. Know, Thank God you're here. Uh, we work together when we need to. And every now and then there's, you know, that one or two percent that wants to manage the hormones. God bless. Uh, everybody, whatever works. I have to say that your staff at Optimal Health Miami, they are amazing and very professional. Thanks. I mean, it, it, it is a pleasure other than the, the offices are gorgeous in Aventura, Florida, for those that don't know. And our listeners right now in South Florida, it is Optimal Health Miami, your practice for the hormone replacement therapy and the, all of these amazing services on the wellness side. And then you have the urologist practice at Euromedics in the same building. So I have That's been correct. patient of both, my husband as well. And, and that is all good because we can find everything in one place. I very much appreciate the kind words. Uh, we do have a phenomenal staff. It They're is. amazing. They're compassionate. I, I really appreciate that. Um, although we are in South Florida, I mean, I do take care of patients um, throughout the country, actually, although the majority of my patients are in uh, Florida somewhere. Uh, since COVID, we, it does give us the opportunity to reach out for patients that are not necessarily 
uh, in this, you know, in Florida. That may end, but right now uh, we are allowed to uh, to provide care to people that are, are out of state. So what uh, do so, they do? And, Somebody uh, listening right now in, in another state uh, or even in another part of Florida, what do they do if they want to have a consultation with you? So we do a lot of virtual medicine, just like we're doing here now. Uh, and um, we uh, send out the lab requisitions through their insurance. They can do that locally. Uh, the intake, the information forms, the questionnaires, obviously could be filled out anywhere and it gets sent in. So it's part of that new patient chart. And what I like to do is I like to show my patient the chart. I like to, to ask them, what is your story? How can I help you? What brings you here? What are your goals? And the questionnaires of things helps us to figure that out, if you will. But probably 80% of the patients they see now are virtual. Um, sometimes the men, if they have other uh, issues, let's say prostate issues, yeah, we need to see them. All my women have gynecologists, as I mentioned, so that's not really an issue. They don't really need an exam, uh, so that's not uh, not a problem as long as somebody is fulfilling that part. Uh, so, yes, probably 90% of my patients are in South Florida, uh, but 10% do take advantage of. Or they've been here and they've moved out somewhere. I had a patient I was taking care of for a long time. He moved to Alaska. Um, if we were doing these virtual visits, um, it took a long time to get him product because he was really in the Aleutian Islands. And it was really, it was really interesting, probably the furthest. And I do have people, of course, that go back and forth to South and Central America. Uh, those are pretty easy because a lot of those patients come to Miami. But happy to do an evaluation, even if I just pass it along to that person's doctor and just say, this is my recommendation. Sounds good. So for all my listeners, we're going to post all the links uh, to Dr. Gittleman practice for urology, as well as Optimal Health Miami, which is the practice where he performs all of the services for men and women in Florida. So all of the links are going to be in the description box and also on my website. So let's talk about anti-aging, Dr. Gittleman, because I know that um, one very... <sighs> This is a subject that a lot of people would like to, to understand and how the hormone replacement therapy helps in anti-aging for women and for men. What happened in the body that helps to uh, bring those levels to a better level? And again, it's not anti-aging, it's better aging. So how the hormones, when you brought us to an optimal point and optimal levels, help with the better aging. So a couple of um, general points here. Um, there are some wonderful functional medicine doctors out there who really practice anti-aging, everything from inflammatory bowel disease to whatever. But in my experience, uh, those people, you have to be, you have to find them. You have to research them. You need to know, you know, uh, how well they were received by their patients and their patients meet their goals, et cetera. So I'd be a little bit careful um, of just a general anti-aging type of clinic. Um, and um, particularly now there's a lot of things out there like stem cells. Uh, stem cells are wonderful when they've been researched properly and they're being applied properly. For example, the orthopedic yes, uh, folks have done a wonderful job. Yep, they've done a wonderful job. General application of stem cells is a little bit more tricky. Uh, I would probably... Uh, send somebody like that to uh, the university where I know that they're doing things properly. So in a small private practice, I'm not saying there aren't some wonderful people out there. I'm sure there are. 
And I've met some of them and I've heard many of them give lectures, but just to be cautious, for me, the concept is similar um, to the concept of anti-aging because we want to keep you young where you're, we use the term hormonal milieu, what's going on in your body, how much estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, et cetera, is there. And we know, as I mentioned earlier, people are at their prime when their levels are normal, not at the bottom or not below. Half the patients I see, their levels are below where the range is. I mean, we talked about measuring it properly, uh, but half are below the range. Those people are kind of depriving their body. That's kind of, they are. They're depriving their body of hormones that kept them young. So in that way, hormones really are anti-aging or to, uh, if you will, to um, slow down the uh, process whereby we're not making you younger, but we're giving that the hormones that you had when you were 20 and 30 uh, and 40. Same thing with the other things we talked about. We look at the uh, vitamins, we look at the nutrients, we look at the, at the peptides, and you kind of want to match up where you were, um, not you, uh, Claudia, but Understand. whoever it is, year, years ago. Perfect. So let's talk about, about the sexual health and intimacy. And again, we're going back to my, 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 you know, a little bit ago when we were mentioning that when we patients go to see a, a professional of these areas such as yourself, we open up to something very personal. This is the most private part of our lives is, is our sexual health and intimacy. And I know you have worked a lot with couples to help them, um, you know, in, into the, into this journey to, to get up at, at a point where they have much better sexual performance, when they can have a much better intimacy. So what are those factors that affect the sexual health? I love that um, when you talked about what anti-aging was earlier, that you included good loving, not just good health and good nutrition, because good loving is really important. And there are studies that look at this in terms of people's satisfaction in general and that when uh, love making is going well when you're younger people don't really think about it. it doesn't it's not a big deal but it becomes disproportionately important as soon as the erections aren't there or the lubrication's not there or if a woman is having pain on uh, sexual relations so uh, it really occupies them and the woman i just saw today um uh, when I asked her about libido and I asked her about arousal, physical arousal, and I asked her about psychological and about orgasm, every single answer was, uh, if it weren't for my pain, uh, I would be good. If it weren't for my pain, I'd have better libido. If it weren't for, so we need to explore for women each one of those uh, categories. We call them domain and try to understand, um, you know, what's going on. How can we do better? Uh, we also see uh, sometimes couples, uh, dysfunction as couples because let's say, um, you know, she's scared or, or she has too much pain. And then what happens to the man? And then, you know, uh, next thing that are, they're making excuses. They're not intimate anymore. And by the way, intimacy doesn't have to be vaginal penetration for the man or the woman, right? As women age, uh, and men age, uh, many times it's just about the true intimacy. So we try to understand what we can correct and what we can't. And many times there's other things happening in the relationship. A woman I saw earlier today said, well, we're not very active right now. We have some family issues. I assumed she was talking about her husband and I was wrong. By the time, as I drilled down on everything, tried to better understand, she's having issues with her kids 
But that kind of dripped over into her sex life for her and her and her husband, even though her kids are grown. Um, but uh, in any event, uh, it's really understanding uh, what's going on. And many times we'll even see or send those patients to a sex therapist, a sex counselor. Uh, and um, that can be really helpful uh, for patients to, you know, as a place to talk and to feel comfortable. I'm really good with the physiology. I'm really good about trying to draw out what's going on. What are the next steps? How can we address? But the couple's issues need to, you know, they need a professional. This is not a field, or at least the way the ones that we send our uh, patients to, where the um, therapist is going to sit them on the couch and say, how did you grow up? Uh, it's much more practical. It's much more pragmatic. Okay. All right. You have a dis, a, a dis equity, if you will, in your sex drive. What can we do about that? How do we approach it? How do you feel safe with your husband? How do you, so, um, there's lots of, uh, ways, but those are their tricks. And I think there's probably everybody could probably benefit, uh, when they're having problems. Although, you know, we probably said maybe 10% or 15% when we think that she can be helpful. Okay. So sexual medicine for men, what are those conditions that sexual medicine address in men? First, I love that you called it sexual medicine as opposed to sexual health, uh, because as a physician, I practice medicine and everybody practices good health. So it really distinguishes, um, really what we're doing. So I like the terminology a lot. For men, um, we're looking at hormones like we've spoken about that go down uh, two, three percent per year. So uh, I'd say the average age I see with men that are symptomatic is probably 45. So I see patients in their 50s and 60s for the first time. Absolutely. I have patients in their 80s and 90s that are on uh, hormones for a variety of reasons, uh, just because they want to feel good. They want to try to exercise, you know, not crazy stuff, of course. Um, so, and I see guys in their twenties and thirties that have problems for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's genetic. Sometimes, uh, it's because they took steroids when they were younger, et cetera. So hormone balance, also sexual medicine, we want to understand erections. Are they good? Are they uh, good enough for you? Are they good enough for your partner? Or is your rigidity satisfactory? Uh, is your maintenance of erection satisfactory? Um, and we'll explore orgasm as well. Some men, uh, as they age, it's harder to achieve orgasm. How do we approach that? For some men, they have a very fast orgasm, uh, and um, we need to approach that. Uh, and now you see commercials, I never thought that would be the case, but now you see commercials for penises that are crooked, right? Um, I think there was even one of the Super Bowl a couple of years ago uh, because we have ways uh, for some patients that becomes... Un, uh, they're having difficulties finding the right position. It can be painful, et cetera. And um, I do see fair number of those patients because we were, there's, all, there's not very many products for that. In fact, there's technically only one on the market. We were uh, part of the research that helped to develop uh, uh, that particular product. So we, you know, those, that would be the full spectrum, I would say, Claudia, uh, of the type of things that most patients would see me for from a male so side. So what are the solutions for those um, sexual health conditions for men um, that you can offer? If, 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 if a guy that is listening right now, my, my male uh, audience out there listening at this podcast, and they may have one of these conditions of, 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 of more than one, what are the solutions, treatments that are available uh, on your practice? Sure. Not to take up the entire podcast, because this, this could probably be a, this a semester of teaching. 
Um, and I do like to teach, but let's just talk about some basic things. So for example, a good erection is good blood flow and is good hormones. Okay. It's really mostly blood flow. Uh, as we know, there are a lot of uh, medications out there. I mentioned five of them earlier. We, uh, they're called PDE5 inhibitors that help us with blood flow to the penis. We have, uh, and many of them now are generic. Um, and um, so if someone's insurance company doesn't cover, we usually can get them covered. Of course, we're talking about Viagra. We're talking about Levitra. We're talking about Cialis or two others that a lot of people don't know about called Staxin and Stendra. People who are more vulnerable to blood flow issues are those who have diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol issues, heart disease. And for those, we have a way of measuring blood flow. We can actually measure it by ultrasound. We don't need to do it for everybody. Typically, patients who have issues will have both hormone and also blood flow issues. So I like to fix the hormones first and then try them on a medication and see if we can meet success. If we can't, then we want to understand the blood flow better. And we have a, a test that's called the penile Doppler. Um, it's totally non-invasive, uh, where we measure the blood flow in the penis. The patient can actually hear the blood flow on the monitor. We're actually listening to the blood flow in the penile arteries. So, um, so that helps us a lot to understand exactly how bad things are uh, and um, helps us to design a, a treatment therapy for them. Besides the medicines, um, some of your listeners might be aware, there's also injectables. I know this sounds horrible, but for those men who are no longer responding to the medications, there are injectables that we can teach patients to inject directly uh, into the penis. And uh, we, we save that later on, you know, for uh, patients that absolutely need it. Developed about 10 years ago is the first regenerative process for penile blood flow, and that's called low-intensity shockwave therapy. Tell us about that. Tell us about the, the shockwave therapy, because I know that you have been pioneered in using these technologies that came from Israel and that have helped many, many um, men out there. So I would like for you to tell us exactly what it is and um, how is the treatment consist of, what are the results? As we get older, no matter how well we take care of ourselves, we are vulnerable to the subtle changes of aging which can show up in many different ways. As a sexual medicine specialist, Dr. Mark Gittleman focuses on men's and women's sexual function throughout their lives. Solid scientific studies show that men's erection issues can be present as early as their 30s and 40s and becomes very common for men in their 50s and 60s. The issues may start subtly, but then progress to the point that intimacy becomes challenging for the patient and his partner, causing significant frustration. Once a patient reaches Dr. Gittleman, it's time for the evaluation, and then to consider a whole host of options. Until recently, therapies have only provided for a short duration of increased blood flow. Those temporary therapies are in no way curative. They include medications such as Viagra and Cialis, the use of injections, a vacuum device, constriction bands, and for some men, even surgery. Dr. Gittleman has chosen the newest form of therapy for his patients known as Sonowave. This entirely new approach is the first and only therapy to help rejuvenate the penile blood by the creation of new blood vessels to carry more blood flow to the penis. This creates better rigidity and longer maintenance of the erection. 
The treatment also allows for the sound wave vibrations to mobilize tiny amounts of plaque in the penile blood vessels, therefore allowing better blood flow. Current medical data is very convincing that this new technology works well. An analysis of 14 medical research studies found that there was evidence that these men experienced improvements in their ED following shockwave therapy. Numerous studies in clinics worldwide demonstrate impressive efficacy and safety. A recent five-year study of shockwave therapy shows a 70% improved erection response at one year and 40% improvement five years after the treatment. There does not appear to be any downside whatsoever in men receiving these treatments. A total of 6,000 sound waves are delivered to 12 strategic areas on the outside of the penis over 15 to 20 minutes. Sessions are scheduled once or twice weekly. Most patients tolerate the sessions quite easily, but some may opt for a local anesthetic cream to be self-applied just prior to their treatment. In summary, this new medical regenerative technique certainly provides a safe and effective way to improve penile blood flow and erections. In the last several years, Optimal Health Miami has had great success with this kind of therapy. Sonowave is certainly an option that might be worthwhile for you to consider as part of your therapy to ultimately improve erection hardness and to improve sexual satisfaction for you and your partner. So we actually, in our research center, did have the opportunity to be one of the first uh, test people to use this technique uh, many years before it was uh, accepted uh, by the FDA and also by our community in urology uh, as something that's successful, something that works. Because so it's very important to show something works before we offer it to a patient, at least in, uh, and there are a lot of people out there that offer things that there's no good clinical data. But the concept here is we are applying a type of energy to the penis to do two things. Number one, we're able to have the penises, if you will, regrow blood vessels. And there again, that's the ticket when it comes to a good erection. It's good blood flow, and it's keeping the blood flow inside. That's a super critical part. It's not just blood flow to the penis, but the penis has to use it to trap the blood to say rigid, rigid. So for patients that are very early on in the process, they might go, I get a great erection, but the problem is I can't keep the erection or the erection might go down on penetration or et cetera. So the concept here is, hey, let's, let's refix, let's fix what really is underlying and that's the blood vessels. Also, so this energy source creates micro, and there's different ways that uh, it's done. We have the sound wave. Uh, technology that we think is uh, uh, extremely safe uh, and um, uh, there's virtually no down, downside to it. And it's pretty painless um, for the most part. It feels like a vibrator. And the concept is over about 15 or 20 minutes, we apply 6,000 sound waves uh, to the uh, penis. It's all on the outside. Nothing goes inside. If my finger is the penis, so we have different ways to get there, the different angles. Again, nothing goes inside. Um, and that's about a 15 or 20 minute process. We use 10 weeks of that in a row. And the data shows 70% of guys, um, will have, a, will rate their penis of having better rigidity after they've had, uh, the, uh, shockwave therapy, in our case, sound wave. Uh, machine is important. Technique's important. Um, one of my good friends, uh, is a professor at Harvard. Uh, he trained my staff on how to do this, including me. And we bought the exact same machine. And we're getting the same results. It's over 70, 70% have uh, better rigidity. Now, it's not for everybody. Uh, so we decide, hey, th we think this is going to work. This may work. This isn't going to work. And we're honest about it. You know, the goal is to 
uh, hold out something that's been scientifically proven and to have a reasonable shot that we're going to give them a better uh, erection. Uh, so this treatment is available at, at Optimal Health Miami? It is, yes. Yeah, and it's specialized uh, equipment. Uh, we think the equipment we're using uh, is, the, is the best, and it probably is. Uh, there's no head-to-head -head comparisons, but uh, my friend, uh, professor, is like, this is the one to buy. Perfect. That is great. Dr. Gittleman, um, I know we were talking about the optimal ages to go and see you for, for girls and gents out there, but I was reading the other day some stats that really catch my attention, and I thought it was um, something that should be talked more about in, in you know, media. And I read that the, in the U.S., the male population is showing 50% of decrease on the levels of testosterone from the, the, the men 30 years ago in the 70s. So it's very dramatic, the drop of the testosterone. And in the article, they were mentioning because of many, 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 you know, uh, things that, such as pollutants in the, in the food, heavy metals, you mentioned that earlier. Also, you know, environmental contamination, soy, in, in, in big amounts on the foods that are processed foods that a lot of people are eating. But tell us a little bit about that and, and how the hormone replacement therapy can help to mitigate those uh, decreases of testosterone in the population. The so male population. For your viewers, for your viewers, let me sort of um, exactly uh, state the point of, of what you're making. If we look at testosterone levels in our population, not individuals, but in our population, and we look at those levels back in 10 years ago, uh, and we look at levels 20 years ago of the population, it's been going down significantly per decade. Um, so again, this is not an individual thing, but society, for all the things that you mentioned, pollutants, environmental exposures, uh, chemicals for some people, um, you know, exposures to smoking, et cetera. Um, all of those, or even in their weed killers and all the things, you know, the products that, that we apply to our bodies right down to makeup and toothpaste and all that. So all, all, undoubtedly, this is not something that's genetic. It's going to be environmental, but what can we do, right? The environment is there. And I think we're tending to see patients earlier, younger for exactly the reason that we're talking about because the whole population is already starting at a lower level. The solution is exactly the same. It's all on an individual basis, wherever they are. And I've seen guys in their 20s uh, that have low levels. Most of those people have abused their body. They've taken bodybuilding steroids in the gym, et cetera. But I have also seen people in their 30s um, and in their you know, uh, late 30s, even young 40s. But now we're getting close to you know, when people usually come forward. So again, it's individual. Uh, we try to put our finger on what might be contributing and then we try to fix it. That's great. You mentioned the steroids for those uh, young men trying to build muscle fast. Um, are those very, very detrimental to the fertility in the longer run for, for the yes. guys? Fertility and, every, and, and almost everything else, including liver and kidney, they're just really bad for the, uh, for the body. And the type of hormone therapy that I do is we talk to, it's natural, right? Your body is going to see whether it's testosterone or estrogen or progesterone, exactly the same molecule that you make. 
Those bodybuilding series are absolutely horrible, absolutely detrimental. I don't know what these guys are thinking, <laughs> and I say that to them. When they come in, I go, eh, we're not doing any of that. And a lot of those people um, have lost their fertility uh, uh, potential and lost their ability to make their natural testosterone. Sometimes we can get them back, sometimes not. The younger they are, the more chance we have. Okay, so the younger they are, if, if you... At any point of your life, you're listening to this podcast or seeing me YouTube right now with Dr. Gittleman, and you try those esteroids, go and visit a professional on the hormone replacement therapy. Get your levels of hormones checked. Please address the situation because it could be um, detrimental in the, in the near future. When, when you guys decided to have family, raise children, you, you, your infertility probably, you know, affected by this. So... This is a warning. You, you guys, I just take wanted, note. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add one other thing. You know, when somebody does something from an unknown source, we really don't know what's in it. And I have some very smart uh, patients, and they say, well, I'm in the gym. I go, what are you taking? I'm not sure. Where are they getting it from? I have no idea. And I'm, I'm like, look, you're... Bro, for for yeah. some websites, products yes. from China. Yeah. And for, right. I hear those stories, and again, it's just this this effort that they do to they wanted to grow this muscle so fast and look cut and and attractive, but they don't know what they're doing is polluting their bodies, and it, the toxicity could be terrible. Terrible, yes, and we can get the same results, you know, using natural hormones like testosterone using some of the peptides we talked about, we can get the same results. It may take a little longer, uh, but we can get the same results. So um, one last thing, um, it's, it's so insidious. It doesn't always show where it's really coming from. So I have had patients that say, I'm getting it from a mom and pop pharmacy in Canada. Right. Now, they're not, they, that's the storefront, if you will, but who knows really where it's coming from. Who knows really what it's, you know, what's in it. The consumer, um, when it's not an FDA-approved facility, and even the compounding pharmacies are FDA-approved, they're different levels of quality, uh, super important. When someone comes to me from somewhere else, I say, I want you to take a picture of your products. I need to see exactly what uh, where they came from, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's a huge difference in terms of uh, quality, um, even of the things that are legally available uh, on the market. So we, we talk about sexual medicine for, for men. Now let's talk about sexual medicine for women. What sexual medicine does address for women specifically? So in my first interview um, with a woman, we'll do what I call a sexual medicine inventory. And what that is, is I ask them uh, about their libido, their sex drive. I asked them about arousal physical. Arousal physical is um, ability to lubricate properly. And then there's arousal um, psychologically, meaning they may be lubricating fine, but they're not in the moment. They're, it's not exciting for them. They're, you know, it's an out-of-body experience, say, thinking about, fantasizing about shopping instead of being in the moment. Um, we'll also explore orgasm. Uh, for women and not just yes or no, but as women get older, um, orgasms can be a little softer, a little, we use the term muted, not as strong, or it may take longer to achieve orgasm, or maybe they can't achieve 
at all um, for a variety of reasons. And then we'll also explore the pain domain, as I used uh, mentioned earlier, a woman who basically everything is off. And I'll actually use it because of the pain. And I'll actually use a scale from zero to 10. And I'll say, okay, let's start with Levito. What is your sex drive right now? Where zero is nothing and 10 is the best you can remember when you first met your partner or your significant other or whatever it is. And I'll write it down. Okay, it's a three. And then, okay, what about your arousal physical? And arousal physical and psychological don't go together. A woman can lubricate really, really well and not be in the moment or be tremendously in the moment, but for a variety of reasons, not lubricate properly. So, uh, and then try to figure, and again, I get a, a number. Okay, your lubrication, where are you? Zero is nothing. And uh, 10 is the best you can remember in your life. And the reason that's important that we look at all those domains is that once we kind of straighten out the hormones and get them down, I want to know where they are. Um, I had a very, uh, very nice uh, lady. Um, I don't know, this is, I've been shooting her for a long time now, but she's very quiet. Uh, and I gave her, um, you know, the questionnaire, very low on the scale. Everything, we balance her hormones. And I don't know, three, four months later, I went through the question there again. But before I did, I said, how are you doing with so-and-so? And she goes, okay, I think I'm a little better. Okay, uh, we'll go through your lab. They look pretty good. Let's go through the scale. Levito, um, I think I'm about an eight. Okay, look, you were two, three months ago, okay? What about your lubrication? Pretty good, I'm better. Uh, I think I'm about a seven. You were a one before, orgasm. Um, well, uh, yeah, maybe a five. You didn't have an orgasm last time we spoke. So a lot of times it's hard. That's why I like the scale. It really gives me a sense uh, uh, to, uh, to better understand. And it gets people in touch too. They have to think about it. Oh, yeah. What's going on in my, you mentioned this earlier, what's going on in my brain? Uh, and, um, uh, and it also lets patients know, I care. This is important. We need to drill down. It's not just like I mentioned earlier, it's not the same down there. That doesn't cut it. We need to drill down, figure out what's going on and, um, and try to help. So how uh, often a, a patient have to be following up with the results? I mean, it goes the first time you saw the, the, the blood labs prescribe the tailored treatment for that person. Then how often they have to uh, measure those you know, the blood test and, and see how they're doing on the progress. Yeah, great. That's a great question. So, um, as they all have been, Claudia, <laughs> I don't want to pick on one great question. That typical beginning for somebody is exactly how you described it. We want to see their labs, we want to uh, talk, and then we want to prescribe some type of therapy. Now, my training is because everyone is individualized, that means that I need to know the levels. And usually I want to get levels, whether it's men or women, because I'm changing their hormones in their body. Everyone absorbs differently, whether it's by a topical cream or it's an injection. Everyone's different. Uh, so in usually in one month, we get lab levels to look at the, whether things change properly. Did we prescribe too high? Are they absorbing too much? Maybe they're absorbing poorly. I need to raise the dose. Maybe they're absorbing well, but they're metabolizing quickly. We need to change things around a little bit. So typically with that, the consult will be about uh, six weeks, labs in four weeks, follow-up six. And then we begin to space out uh, to three months or four months. For women, typically I only need to see them twice a year, every five or six months. For men, it depends on their age because I need to see what else is going on in their life. So um, uh, in the 50 plus, I usually like to see three times a year. 
Um, every four months, we get labs, we will call safety labs, um, and for the women as well. Um, but um, uh, it keeps them on track. We want to make sure they're still doing things properly. Uh, and so three times a year is about right for the guys, for women a little bit less. Okay, so for the ladies, um, something that I would like to ask you, and this is um, important, in terms of those symptoms that you described, libido, uh, lack of lubrication, um, you know, uh, being not present in the moment, for those kind of health, sexual health conditions, what are the solutions? A lot of them are just balancing hormones okay. and, and getting getting to the right balance. Sometimes it's adding on some of the other things that we talked about, uh, vitamins, nutrients, peptide. Sometimes it's getting our uh, uh, clinical uh, psychologist, you know, the sex therapist involved. So it's really individual and there's so many different uh, possibilities. But again, it's all tailored to what the symptoms are. Viagra like is, 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 a, is something that lay, is good for women. I thought Viagra was only for men. Yeah. So the answer is in some cases. Uh, we actually, um, as I mentioned, that we researched all these products. We were one of the first 20 sites in uh, America and the country to research Viagra for men. Uh, in the mid-90s, it didn't get approved till 98, long before it had a name. Uh, and in fact, um, the folks from Pfizer flew me and, um, uh, and another 19, uh, the other 19 sites to Pfizer headquarters. They showed us the data and they said, uh, should we develop this product? And we were all unanimous. We're like, yeah, this looks pretty good. Develop it. Uh, who knew it was going to be the way it is now? Not long after Viagra came on the market, people were like, what about a female Viagra? What can we do? Uh, will it help women, et cetera? And there's a lot of different products out there. It's true it's not FDA approved. We did a lot of trials for women with Viagra. There was only one um, group of women that seemed to be reasonable. Remember the way these, these medicines work, improve blood flow, right? That's how they work for men. And it works that way for women too. So for diabetics in particular, who may not be getting blood flow to their pelvis properly, to their clitoris properly, to the whole, you know, to their vagina properly. There's probably a place for Viagra. Now, this is totally off label, never been FDA approved, uh, for that. But do people, clinicians use it? Yes. You'll also see it used, um, by some of the compound pharmacies, topical meaning creams applied. So, um, so in a very small segment of women, it makes sense. But it's not going to help for libido. Uh, it'll only help for arousal, uh, orgasm, uh, and arousal physical, because again, better blood flow and orgasm because they're having better uh, blood flow. And it's usually in those diabetics. Okay. So, so Dr. G, for testosterone in women, I have a question because for men, seems like the testosterone is always injectable, correct? For women are, are two options, the injectable and the pellet. Well, why are the difference and it is one better than the other? Okay, so just as point of clarification, um, for men, there are other options, but they're just not great. Uh, the, um, and for uh, they're not great because it's hard to get good levels. Women have one-tenth the amount of testosterone as men. So we give about one-tenth, of course, we personalize it. And one other thing that we do for women, and that's a, a gel, a topical cream, if you will, 
that they can just apply um, on their uh, arms or a lot of them choose the inner thighs at night when they go to bed. So women, it's easier to achieve. Men, we'd have to bathe them in the gels or the, or the creams to get the doses that we need. So women, it's creams. Um, they are, we have injectables. The pellets that you mentioned are what I call long-term injectables. So typically the short-term, women inject themselves once a week. Um, there may be some reasons they prefer it over cream. They may not like cream. Maybe they've got a young child in the home and they don't want the cream to get on the child, so we'll typically go to an injection. Also, injections are easier to control. They don't have to worry about lotions or how well they're absorbing. Uh, you know, it's a little faster to get you to where we want. And the pellets are a time release of the injectables. So it's uh, the best way to think about it. Any time release that we take, some are for a couple of hours, some are for a day or two. These pellets dissolve over three months, three to four months. So pellets are an option where we do those in the office. We inject them just below the skin surface and a little bit of fat. Some people, some women love them. Others are, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I never tried the pellet, but in my in my reasoning, and I want to clarify this with you because maybe just a personal um, perception. But I feel that when I do the injectable myself in the, in the thigh, is is a, is it. Is what you say. We we just women we need a, a very low dosage. So it's a little injection. It doesn't hurt. I do it once a week. I I have done it since you know 2016. So I'm I'm very accustomed. But I feel that when I do that, I control the way that my body um, cycle, the peaks and the lows of the testosterone. So in a way, it's like teaching my body how to produce its own and regulated it better. I don't know, and again, this is perception, I never uh, use the pellet, but to me, if I have something releasing constantly, the, the hormone in my body, I am not sure if my body will learn how to uh, navigate the, the highs and the peaks because it's constantly signaling. So can you help me a little bit to understand both? Well, first, to each their own, right? I mean, um, I like the short-term injectables that you're doing because the same way you feel like you have control, I have control too, and we get your labs, and I say, you know, let's cut back a little bit on that. Boom, you, the next injection, we've got a different dose. We could do the same with the creams, but some women get a little bothered by the actual application of the cream, and we could do the same in pellets, but if we're doing it every three or four months, I can only change the dose every three to four months. Um, uh, you're very aware of your body, and I think it's wonderful that you can tell. We measure those ups and downs, as you know, so we can figure out how well you're absorbing and how well you are uh, metabolizing. But, uh, it, you know, again, teach their own, and the fact that you can feel it, you've got more control, I love that. But there aren't that many cloudies out there. You know, sometimes women can find uh, uh, that they would choose one or the other. But it is, it is popular. Uh, uh, just a, a one uh, point on the creams. Because it's one-tenth the dose, women can do the, the creams and they, they can opt to do that. Lastly, on the subject, you mentioned that you're injecting your thigh. There are other injection sites. You can do like the love handle like on the side. I have to stand up to show you that, but everybody knows who that is. And also, if you have a willing partner, uh, they can do it in the buttocks. 
right? And um, but they're all good. They're all tiny needles as you point it out. And I think most people find it very acceptable. It is very easy. And then you get accustomed. It really is not doesn't didn't bother me when I started. Doesn't bother me at all. But one thing that I want to mention is that during the the first let's say six months of the treatment when I started first started in 2016, um, you were really carefully looking at my blood levels to get me to that exact dosage where I was at my optimum. And I have to say that we found the sweet spot. Thanks to you. Thank you, Dr. G, because now I, I'm back to myself. I mean, I told you, I, I just want to be cloudy again, be happy, be excited about life, you know, having a great intimacy with my husband and, and having this energy to work out and, and, and feeling good overall. So that optimal point, I, I reached it in, yeah, I would say it in, in the first six months to a year to the treatment. Mm -hmm. I know I have been very consistent. And, and that is a good thing. So for, for ladies listening or, or seeing this video on YouTube, please just go and check the, your, your uh, hormones. Find a good professional in the hormone replacement therapy. Do your research. Feel confident that you're going to be in hands of a professional such as yourself, Dr. Gittleman. I mean, you have my precious husband at your practice in urology. <laughs> and hormone replacement therapy at Optimal Health. You have me, and I have been referred a lot of, of my dear friends, and everybody highly satisfied because the, some of them, they came to you with horrible stories of previous, yeah. um, you know, Headless. hormone replacement therapy people that they visit before with, you know, they didn't know what they were doing, and they have them and, and totally discontrolled. So... I um, I just want to encourage the women and men out there to really look at themselves with honesty. We do not, we should not normalize gaining weight because of hormones or being older or getting, um, you know, the, the, the muscle, you know, getting fluffy just because we're getting old or the fogginess, mental fogginess because we're getting older or men growing the belly because they're getting older. No, it is not normal. And it's always something you can do to improve your current health condition. Beautifully. Well said. Well, I can't add any more to that. Well said. Dr. Gittleman, I really, really appreciate your time today with us. I almost sure that we're going to have a lot of people commenting on the comments below if they want to know more about a specific subject. It would be nice if we have a, a following chat sometime in the future. Sure. But for those, uh, our listeners, again, all of the links to your practice are going to be in the description box on this podcast and in all of the platforms that we are syndicated as well as my Express All Health and Wellness podcast website, which the link is also below. Thank you very much, Dr. Gittleman. It was very, My pleasure, Claudia. very good session, very good chat with you today. If you like the content of my podcast, please subscribe right here. Don't forget to hit the notification button so you will be notified when we are posting more episodes of my podcast and more of this content. And if you are so kind to write a review, that will help us 
to for others to find our content and spread the word on wellness. Also, check out our sponsors and the links, the affiliate links that we have below with amazing discounts that we are offering to you, our listeners. So thanks for listening. And again, don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, remember, health is wealth for the body, mind, and soul. Take care. Thank you very much for listening. And if you like the information that we shared with you today, please subscribe to the Express Soul Health and Wellness podcast and follow us in the social media outlets of your choice. Until next time, please remember, health is wealth for the body, mind and soul.